cozy and comfy, cozy, are we? We're snuggled up together like two birds of a feather would be. Let's take that road before us and sing a chorus or two. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. that moment, you automatically get this image of the invasion of the North Pole making its way to New York City, right? Like you already see the effects that Buddy can have on a place. Now, if you're not familiar with Elf, um, what we've already discovered up to that point in the film is that there is uh, a, a adult man who was raised from childhood as an elf, uh, adopted um, by an elf dad, and to discover he wasn't, in fact, an elf himself, he is a human being, and that his biological father is in New York City and happens also to be on the naughty list. So he goes to New York City to bring Christmas spirit to his father, as well as rekindle that relationship. And on the way, he goes to Gimbel's department store. Where that is taking place in the toy section, where Buddy looked at their decorations and clearly thought this isn't going to cut it if Santa's coming here. So he goes on a covert mission throughout the entire night, at decorating and bringing all this wonder and merriment to Gimbel's toy store department. And then in that moment, though, you see the kids are already starting to bubble with excitement because they're going to meet Santa, but not only are they meeting Santa, but the North Pole has made its way into gimbals. It's pretty cool. See, the kids don't seem to be offended by the fact that somebody, somebody under the cover of night vandalized the toy department at gimbals. It's crazy. They're too, they're too enthralled. They're too excited to wonder about any of that stuff. Now, I think that that's a really beautiful moment in the story because up till the point that, um, that Buddy leaves the North Pole, he has only been around people who get him, who understand him. Individuals who have um, seen him grow from childhood, his dad, Santa, people that people who understand him and get him. And then you have Mr. Narwhal who pops up out of the, out of, out of um, the Arctic uh, sea. And, uh, and he pops up and he says, you know, Thank you, guys. Yes, absolutely. He wants him to wish him luck as he goes to find his dad. And that's the last person, creature, who understands Buddy for the most of the rest of the movie. For the rest of the movie, there are people who are going to content, consistently misunderstand his actions, his motives, his intentions. Now, we as the viewer, we have had the privilege of watching everything that has happened up until or the entire story through, as he meets each of these people who don't get him, we already do get him because we saw what happened in the North Pole. So we understand it. So we're not suspicious of Buddy like everyone else seems to be. Because Elf's not a mystery, right? That's not the genre that it falls in. We know where he comes from. We know how he was raised. So we get it. Now, imagine though if the movie was a mystery. Imagine if that's where the, the movie begins. It begins with this guy, like cues up, and this guy is in New York City eating bubble gum from underneath poles. And you'd be like, what is this guy doing? What is he wearing? What's happening? And then he barges in and sings a song to this guy and like says that you're my dad. And 
That's weird. And then he goes and covertly vandalizes a store, tearing up all kinds of things that he didn't pay for to do this thing. What is going on? We'd be wondering, why is he doing these things? Who is he really? Where does he come from? So it kind of makes sense why the different characters in the story look at Buddy with a degree of suspicion, right? Because of the things that he has been doing would be suspicious if you don't know his story. Now, Buddy doesn't seem to care a whole lot about being understood, but I'd imagine most of us do, right? Don't we want to be understood by people? We work pretty hard to unravel the mystery for people of our motives. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm, I'm relatively fine if you disagree with me, but I want you to understand me. My motives, my intentions, my rationale, my thinking. I mean, I could be wrong, but know my heart behind what I'm saying. Now, there's another person who doesn't seem to care a whole lot about being understood, and that's Jesus. And we see in the earliest pages of, uh, of John's gospel account, um, chapter 1, verse 9, we see the image of people not getting Jesus. Verse 9 starts this way. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, but of the will of the, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm gonna read that again. And this time what I want you to do is I want you to make some observations in your mind about what the descriptors are that it's saying of Jesus. Who is this true light? The true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So go ahead, shout out just a couple observations. Like what, what are you seeing in that that describes who Jesus is? Anybody have? Well, the light. Yeah, that's a big one in there, right? He is the light. Anything else? Any immediate ones? The world is made through him. It's kind of a big deal. He was in the world. He is the name that's to be believed in for salvation. He gives the right to become a child of God. These are pretty powerful realities, right? It says that he was in the world. It says that the world was made through him, but it also said, yet the world did not know him. He even came to his own, to his own God's elect people group, the nation of Israel, yet they didn't receive him. Buddy the elf never tried to be something he wasn't. He, he was an elf at heart. He was raised as an elf. He was good at Christmas spirit. We talked about this last week. So he brings Christmas spirit everywhere he goes because that is a part of who he is. But Jesus is the true light, the light of the world, the light of life. He was good at bringing light, not because it's a characteristic of him, but it is who he is. He is the true light. But just because he was the true light doesn't mean that he would be well understood. 
and that others wouldn't lack any version of comprehension around who he is or what he has come to accomplish. Instead, as this passage describes, they didn't know him. They didn't receive him. They were suspicious of him. They abandoned him. They rejected him. And so tonight, we're going to look into those different heart postures that people have towards Jesus. What I'd hope you see is not the way that somebody else or some, someone else outside of this room or inside this room needs, but where are our hearts in disbelief? Now, we saw in that scene that we already watched at Gimbel's, the invasion of Christmas joy and, and like the wonder that it is bringing. But you also begin to see the manager's reaction. But now let's watch briefly and see how the manager reacted when he went to talk um, to Buddy about it. Hey guys, have you seen the place? Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. It's a little too good. Corporate must have sent in a professional. I don't know why somebody's gunning for my job. But look, let's remain a team, okay? Because if I go, we all go. If you get wind of anything, call me on my radio. Channel 3, code word is Santa's got a brand new bag, okay? (laughs) His reaction is very different than the reaction of the kids in the store, right? His reaction is not, wow, this is wonderful. Like we saw him earlier, right? He's like poking things. He's like, what is happening? He's trying to comprehend it. He immediately though turns to suspicion and he assumes that whoever did this must have had awful motivations, awful intentions. In fact, it's a little too good, right? In fact, he says that they must have sent in a professional. Someone must be gunning for my job. He can't fathom any other motive for the Etch-A-Sketch of the Mona Lisa or the, bright, the light bright display saying, welcome Santa, or the paper snowflakes that are everywhere. Then somebody is being devious and somebody is suspect. See, Buddy is good at Christmas spirit. Now to the manager, that effort's just a little too good, right? But for the manager, he sees what causes others to witness in marvel and wonder and only experiences fear. And so he makes outlandish claim, right? Of like, like if, if I go, we all go. Like, like, that's not the way it works when you're working retail, I don't think. Um, <laughs> but he sees his power being unraveled by whoever did this thing. And it's bad. Now, in the book of Matthew, Matthew records his account of Jesus' birth. And right after, in the days right after Jesus' birth, we get to see the first time that a human is threatened by an infant, Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them, where was the Christ to be born? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets and you, O Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them when time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Sounds like a great response, right? After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned and dreamed not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Goes on to say in verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. That's a little worse than the manager, right? I mean, he was willing to step in to committing genocide over this. So in the moments when they depart, we first get to see a little bit about the Magi, these these foreigners from the East, these individuals who are outside of God's covenant people. Yet they came in with childlike faith. They marveled and wondered at the arrival that the king of the cosmos has been made into flesh. They were witnessing the light of heaven breaking into the planet of darkness and offered him treasures. But Herod, the king of the Jews, the one who should be the first to take off this crown and hand it to the rightful king, he couldn't see past his own fears. Fears of being usurped, fears of losing his power. So out of suspicion, he commits mass genocide against his own people. Now, this would continue to be a theme in Jesus's life as he would grow up. His demonstrations of divine love and authority only breed suspicion in the hearts of those who want control. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the zealots, the priests, the Roman rulers, the Jewish rulers, even the rich young ruler, all had this desire for control to keep their stuff in order. They were all suspicious because everywhere the light of the world went, the darkness was being undone and that brought question into their reality, their control. They didn't know how to comprehend it. So they rejected it. They didn't want it. Now, it can be easy to go, oh, yeah, our, our politicians, our bosses at work, like the other people in power, they need to hear that. And absolutely, they all do too. But I and you each have in us the propensity and the desire to control. Each and every one of us will desire to wield our own kingdoms with our own crowns. And the concept of surrendering that to Jesus, we will do it partially. We're like, I don't know if I want to give you the whole thing. So we reject. Like, ah, I'll, give you, I'll give you this much of my life. That's, that's cool, right? But he asked for the blank check. And we just hand it over to him. And we're like, however you fill it out, whatever is true, right, and good, you get to, you get to call the shots. I don't have the crown in my life anymore. I've surrendered it to you, the only true king. Now that's a hard reality to live in, Right? So that is the reaction of the manager, the desire to, be, to live out a suspicion, to reject based on that. Now, the next 
person up is his brother. And, and when, bro, when Buddy's brother um, is approached by Buddy outside of school, let's watch this reaction. Michael! It's me, Buddy! You know that guy? No. I've never seen him before. It's me, Buddy! Your brother! Oh, man. <laughs> no, Michael! Wait! Your brother! Michael! Sorry! Sorry! Michael! 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 Michael, wait up! Michael! Michael! This clip is so sad, right? It's sad and we can empathize because at some point we have probably been both characters in that scene, right? At some point, all of us has probably experienced when someone was embarrassed of us. And at another point, we have probably all experienced when we've been embarrassed of somebody else. I remember growing up um, when I was like in junior high and my mom would pick me up from school. Uh, she, her car was older and my dad had just gotten a new Jeep Wrangler and, and I'd get so frustrated when she picked me up in her old beater car. I'd be like, no, the Jeep, the Jeep's cool. Around the corner, around the corner, you know. I also remember um, growing up with a couple of friends who um, I, like, like from kindergarten were really tight. And then they became popular. They were part of the in crowd. And then soon they pretended as if they never knew me. It's not fun. Feeling abandoned's rough. See, Buddy doesn't seem to be aware of how sad this moment should be for him, right? <laughs> because he's too busy just trying to build a relationship with his brother. In fact, in the, the, when you keep watching the movie, then he's like, at, like peppering his brother with questions and his brother's just rebuffing him. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you following me? I don't want to have this conversation, but he's determined. And then they have an epic snowball fight, which is also fun, right? Now, there were also those who, who had already been drawn near to Jesus, his disciples, those who were closest, who walked with them for three years. And as they did life and ministry together, uh, there's individuals like Peter who said, like, I would never forsake you. I am with you. Like, like, no matter what happens, I am with you. But immediately following Jesus' arrest, they walked away from him. And so in Peter's story, in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, Verse 54, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following as a, at a distance. So Peter still wanted to be near him. He, was, he still cared. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together and Peter sat down among them. But then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him said, this man was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else said, saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about another hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. 
And immediately while he was still listening, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and made eye contact with Peter. And the Lord turned and made eye contact with Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. See, for the disciples, particularly in this moment, in, in Peter, we see fear. But specifically, it is fear that is rooted in deep misunderstanding of what Jesus was up to. They didn't know what Jesus meant. They, didn't, they couldn't conceive what he meant when he said, no, like this, like this temple is going to be broken down and in three days it's going to be rebuilt. They didn't know what that meant. When he said, I must die, Peter, all Peter knew to do is rebuke him. He couldn't conceive what Jesus meant. He couldn't receive him the way that Jesus was broadcasting himself. Otherwise, if Peter was there, I'm pretty sure if he truly trusted and believed Jesus, this wouldn't have been his response. These are the words of somebody who is in fear, feeling defeated. What they were sure of is that things were going downhill for Jesus and anyone that has their wagon hitched to him is going to end up in a similar fate. This is bad news. Don't be linked to Jesus anymore. They didn't know that in that dark moment, the light of heaven was breaking through. See, the true light had arrived. And in each of our lives, the reality is, is things don't always feel light. Things often feel heavy and there's levels of darkness in varying degrees in our days, right? And when we are experiencing life and we are experiencing the normal things and the horrendous things, it can be easy to be in that space going, God, where are you? And like, he must, I don't understand what he's doing. I don't know if I can trust him. And so in that space, doubt Fear, grief begin to warp our hearts and our minds because we don't believe that he is ultimately good and that he is ultimately great. We don't believe that he has the authority or the power to do what is good if he is in fact good. Like there is a disconnect because we are on a planet of darkness, but yet he is supposed to be the king of light. So where's the problem? So we don't understand what God is up to. We don't understand how he can bring even redemption into the most unredeemable of circumstances. So then the third character to go into tonight is the character of the dad. And throughout the story of Elf, his dad and him have um, an interesting relationship, right? And his dad has been, his entire life has been upended by Buddy. And so then... So then Miles Finch is doing a pitch for a book, a new book that's going to, that, that he has this idea of. And this is going to be the salvation for his dad's career. But then Buddy comes in and unintentionally messes everything up, um, ticks the author off, and he just leaves. And this is the last straw for the dad. So let's watch what happens next. Where do you want me to go? I don't care where you go. I don't care that you're an elf. I don't care that you're nuts. I don't care that you're my son. Get out of my life, now! So sad, right? It's sad. But you also kind of get the dad, right? He had plans. He knew what it was going to take to save his career. He had a family to take care of. 
And then Buddy walks into his life and single-handedly dismantles all of it. So the scene is a volcanic explosion of this like continual frustration of his plans and his ideas. Now for Jesus, he continually frustrated the plans of um, basically everyone. Now there's a specific group of people that were known as the Zealots. And I don't know how much you know about the Zealots, but they were a group of individuals who were determined to plan a violent revolution against the Roman Empire to bring freedom for the nation of Israel. Kind of makes sense. Like oppressor is there, do what you got to do, right? So when they heard that the anointed one, the king, the prophesied king had arrived on the scene, they, what would they naturally assume? This guy is going to bring freedom for us. Like he is going to overthrow the, the rulers and we're going to be good. But they weren't the only ones that got excited. In fact, on the, the, the week before Jesus' crucifixion, he goes into the, the city on the back of a donkey and everyone in the city comes out and is waving palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna because they believed that the conquering king had arrived. It's like they were throwing a victory parade before the game. Like they knew what was coming now. Like this was victory. But then a week later, that supposed king was bound and beaten. This wasn't the plan. And so the city turns against him. In Luke 23, the people turn their voices against him and begin to cry out, for Jesus's crucifixion. The true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They didn't know him. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. They mocked him. They walked away from him. Let me change the words just a little bit. I didn't know him. You didn't receive him. We mocked him. We walked away from him in desire to continually walk away from him. And that would be really sad if that's where the story ended. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love. See, Jesus came after us. He pursued us so that our hearts could receive him. We didn't have the capacity to receive him on our own terms. He came in, brings brings life to dry bones, brings us back to life so that we could receive him, so that we could become children of God, sons and daughters of the king of the cosmos. I love the hymn we sang earlier, O Commonly Faithful. It's one of my favorites. I, but I think a more apt title would be, O Come All Ye Faithless. Because see, there's only one who is faithful. <laughs> And he's the one who paid for all of it. And he did that so that we could go from faithless to faithful. Because when the father looks at us, if we are in him, he doesn't see all the baggage and the brokenness and the bondage. What he sees is his son. We are drenched 
in the cleansing blood of Jesus. And this is our invitation to come. Let us adore him the, to the one who is born the king of angels. So I don't know what, what's been going on for you. Each one of our stories are unique. Our struggles are unique. Our doubts are unique, but also they're human and they're universal. But God, what Jesus has done is he has made a way when there was no way so that we could bring whatever we have, whatever, whatever we think is too bad, or whenever we think we're too good, we dump our pride, we dump our brokenness at the foot of the cross and we say it's yours because he is the king. He's the king, not me, not you. Nobody that's sitting in Senate, in the White House, the governor's mansion or parliament. There's not a single kingdom on earth that rivals the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven, which is breaking through, through his body, the church. This is what we participate in. This isn't anything we could have possibly planned. In fact, if it were me, I would have told the story nowhere, not like this, right? But this is a story he is telling. It is one of pursuit for the broken, pursuit for the lost. The king has come. The true light has come. And this is our opportunity to follow him. Follow him, the true light. We can be drawn near to him. Doesn't matter if you're in here and, and you don't know Jesus, you wouldn't say that you are a follower of him or if you have been following him for 50 years. Either way, the opportunity is all of ours to experience him and to come to him because the true light is not just something on, on dry pages of text. It is a king who is alive, whose heart still beats. And it's a king that doesn't just come, that just came 2,000 years ago. It is a king that is coming again. And it is he that we follow. The true light. So I want to close by reading um, a passage that we read last week. And so here's what I would love to do. I'd love to invite you all to simply meditate on this passage. Uh, I'm not going to give you any directions on how to do this other than to just sit, close your eyes, and maybe just put your hands, palms up on your lap. Just as a posture of openness to God. And I'm going to read this passage a few times. I just want you to Think about it, pray over it, talk to God about it. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you believe this right now? Do you receive Jesus's words right now? I am the light 
of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Father, your kids come to you now. We come to you because you came to us. You sent your son Jesus to die, to be risen from the grave so that we could be redeemed and restored back into your forever family. We are forever yours. That does not change. For anyone that's here tonight and and they're not yet part of your family, I pray that even right now you'd be stirring in their hearts and their minds, drawing them near to you so that they could believe on the only name that can save, the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now for all of us who are a part of your family. Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. We know you, but we want to know you more. Help us, Lord. Help us to experience you through your word and by your spirit. Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room right now, each with a different story of what brings them into this space tonight, but each of them in desperate need, whether they know it or not, of your grace and your truth. So remind us of your grace and your truth so that we could experience your love and demonstrate that love to everyone else around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.